Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude Branding, a hospitality, branding, and experience design agency. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. Today, we're excited to chat with Scott Kubley, CEO and founder of Cabana. Cabana is changing how people travel by packing the best amenities of a boutique hotel experience into transit vans with modern form factors. Started this year, Cabana is helping to make waves in the luxury van life movement. Scott will share challenges his team has faced since their launch, as well as the exciting future of transportation and travel. Let's dive in. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, for those of you that don't know, um, Scott uh, is heading up the ship over at Cabana, and they're doing some really interesting stuff out there. We reached out to them because um, it just seems so unique, the, the type of uh, you know problem that they're solving in the market. And uh, we thought it'd be really great to talk with him about um, his business, um, how the last 100 days have, have affected his business and what his uh, plans are moving forward into the future as well. So, um, Scott, uh, for, those of the, you, for those listening that might not know uh, what Cabana is, um, how would you describe it to them? So Cabana, is the, I think the simplest explanation is it's basically van life meets car sharing meets a boutique hotel. And so you can go online, download our app, uh, book a van, and then you walk up to the van and you can check it all out on your phone and then you're off and going. Uh, so that's the car share side. And then the boutique hotel meets van life side is we've basically taken a Ford Transit van uh, and put all of the elements of a hotel in the back. So a queen size bed with a really thick eight inch memory foam mattress, Wi-Fi, smart TV uh, with an Amazon Fire uh, uh, stick so that you can stream all your favorite shows. It's got a full bathroom uh, and then seating for two. And it's all kind of like packed in uh, to the back of a van, all kind of like very luxurious and high end. And so it gives you the freedom to explore any city that you're in and park it and sleep wherever you want, or you can take it out to the country uh, to go skiing or hiking or mountain biking, or you can do both all in one trip. Yeah. Yeah. You guys pack a lot in those little, I mean, they're not really little, but you pack quite a bit in there. I was looking through all the pictures and watched some of the videos and it's pretty, pretty cool how you guys do that. Um, how'd you guys come up with the idea for Cabana in the first place? What brought that about? Uh, I was traveling a ton for my last job. I was on the road for over 50, 54 consecutive weeks, uh, and just, you know, sort of staying in the same cities over and over. And what I realized was when I would watch these rates fluctuate, what I, what I saw was like demand far outstripping supply driven by events. And then I also realized that, you know, I'm paying $400 a night to stay in, you know, the tenderloin in San Francisco you know, which, you know, is strictly due to land value and supply. So, 
you know, if you can put real estate on wheels, you essentially have an opportunity to take the land value out of the cost of, of your hotel. And so you can get it at a much lower price point. You can get a hotel wherever you want it. That was the genesis of the idea. And then COVID obviously completely upended that. And I think actually validated the flexibility of the model because as business travel and tourism, you know, kind of tanked with people traveling, hotels around the country, around the world kind of saw their bookings all evaporate. Uh, we saw the same thing from people that were traveling into Seattle. But then as soon as those bookings were canceled and the stay-at-home orders started getting relaxed, a bunch of locals came in and started booking vans and taking it out into the, into the areas around Seattle. Uh, so it's like this super flexible form factor that allows you to serve tourists coming into a market, but if for some reason that doesn't work, you have locals that are going to be taking staycations. And so, you know, that that's kind of uh, what the last 100 days have looked like. Yeah, that's really fascinating how um, just the hospitality industry is evolving. And I think outlets like this are going to be uh, a huge piece of the future for that. And I, I think it's really cool how it was created out of necessity of just being on the road so much and looking for a better way. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced early on as you were conceptualizing this and uh, seeing if it was actually going to be viable? Uh, well, I mean, I, th I would put it in a few different buckets. So I think the first bucket is just kind of, it's a pretty radical idea to go and tell people that you're, you know, planning on building mobile hotel rooms in the back of a cargo van. And, you know, you're, you're selling people on a vision that you don't even have renderings for yet. And so that was, uh, that made fundraising early on really interesting, you know, and, and challenging. So you talk to a lot of angel investors and, they looked at it and they said, okay, it's really capital intensive and I'm struggling to visualize what you're talking about. Uh, and fortunately we just, you know, we, we found the right investors early on that had led disruptive companies in the past. And so kind of totally got the, the nature of the vision and have been incredibly supportive. So that was Challenging. And then, then I think the other challenging aspect has really been around how do you take this, this concept and with, you know, in a relatively lean fashion, build something completely new and different. And so we talked to 25 or 30 different van builders around the country uh, about what we were trying to do and the vision that we were trying to uh, achieve. And really, like, we struggled to find anybody that, one, got the vision, and then, two, had the capacity to do the work. Uh, and we were really fortunate to find a great partner uh, to get us started. And, you know, I think, I think those have been the two big challenges. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as you were talking to these people, to investors and to, uh, you know, builders, uh, van builders and things like that, as you were uh, – sharing the vision with them. I mean, do you view this cabana as filling a void in the market or do you see it as creating an entirely new space or, or what was your thoughts around that? 
when you I share? think a little bit of both. I mean, so I think the the problem that we're solving is that I, I think you can come at it from like when you're when you're pitching folks, there's like two different ways to, to pitch it. One is like, here's the problem and here's our solution. And the other is, you know, hey, we've got this great new product that nobody actually has seen or is asking for. So it's like reminds me of the old Henry Ford quote, if I'd asked folks what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Uh, and so I think it's a little bit of both. On the problem side, I think the way I think about it is that, you know, hotels, in cities are generally stuck in all of the wrong places for a lot of travelers. Uh, they tend to be kind of like in sterile downtowns or kind of like sterile, yeah, sterile parts of downtown where it's basically all tourists. And I think a lot of people want, when they visit a city, they want a really authentic experience. And so that, I think, you know, you want to stay in the neighborhood, but there's no hotel in the neighborhood. So you wind up in an Airbnb, but a peer to peer platform, you know, there's a lot of very spotty or erratic experiences. And then you take it to the country and, you know, traveling in the outdoors. And there's a lot of folks that for whatever reason, you know, maybe they don't want to camp. Maybe they don't have the, the gear because they live in a small apartment. Maybe they, you know, love being out in the wilderness, but they really like sleeping in a bed, uh, which is me. Uh, but they don't want to like, tromp around in a giant RV, right? right? That is bigger than any vehicle they've ever driven. And, you know, frankly, doesn't have a particularly cool form factor and kind of looks like something that, you know, your parents might drive around. Uh, unless you have very cool parents and which they've already built their own <laughs> camper. And so I think that is, you know, that was kind of uh, the problem that we were trying to solve. Yeah. As as you were create like creating the concept for the van itself and you know equipping and modifying it, uh, were there any like unique uh, challenges you faced with that portion of it, or you know what were some um, things that you did to kind of enhance the guest experience? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and I don't want to dive too into it because I think we've got like a little bit of secret sauce uh, in terms of how we accomplished a lot of what we did. Uh, but I'll give you one that's like super visible and kind of gives you a frame of reference for how we think. So we kind of like approached every design challenge at, with two questions in mind, which was how do we make it like a hotel or better? And also how do we turn every problem into an opportunity? And so if you take something as simple as a shower, right? Which at the end of the day, the bathroom drove the entire vehicle design. Because to meet the hotel experience, you have to have an amazing bathroom. And to have an amazing bathroom in a van is like, that's a pretty hard experience. That's a pretty hard design challenge. And so, you know, we used a Corian shower surround. So a solid surface, you know, really clean lines, you know, elegant shower surround. And then in the bottom, we have this like plastic shower pan, which is, you know, uh, kind of a, synthetic material that doesn't feel super amazing on your feet, right? It doesn't feel, you know, like a hotel. You take the second problem, which is, you know, you're not always parked on level ground. And so that tub isn't going to drain properly or that shower pan isn't going to drain properly. So then, you know, if you're taking a shower, you're standing in your own shower water, which again, 
not an amazing experience, not something that you would tolerate in a hotel room, uh, but something that folks will tolerate in a van, but not in a hotel room. And so that's a design problem. So how do you solve that? Well, maybe you drill multiple holes in the van, uh, you know, in the shower pan so that you have multiple drain points. But what we did instead was we basically took like a three quarter inch sheet of bamboo plywood and turned it into a shower pan. And so now you're standing above the pooled water, right? So you're not experiencing the, that. And then beyond that, you're now standing on a natural material that's the same as the step up into the bed and the dinette table and the mobile, the modular kitchen that pulls out of the back of the van. So it like ties in from a material and aesthetic point to the rest of the van, gives you a very like warm and natural material on your feet and then solves the functional problem. And so those were, you know, like if you go through the van and you sort of say like every time we came into like a design challenge, that was kind of the lens that we ran it through. And that's, I think, how we came up with what we did. Yeah, that's really cool. It's, it's amazing that living in a van down by the river was frowned upon a couple decades ago, but now it seems to be uh, pretty that was a dream. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, well, so it's also like you can work from a van down by the river, right? Cause we have <laughs> Wi-Fi, and you know, if you're now, if you have a, you know, a, a job that allows you to work remotely uh, and everybody's working from home, or so many people are getting to work from home now, it doesn't really matter where your that home is, right? So you can Absolutely. like take a van midweek, do your work, right? And then like, as soon as you're off work, you're actually at the trailhead and you can go hiking. Yeah, I wish you had them closer to us. Uh, coming Dude, you know, I went to I went to college in uh, Rala, so I'm aware of how beautiful that part of the country is. That's awesome. So you've been you've been launched about a year now, is that right? Uh, no, we started we incorporated uh, July 22nd of last year, and then you know the first thing that we did was I took a home equity loan out and bought a used van and put it on Craigslist or not on Craigslist bought it off Craigslist and put it on a peer-to-peer platform in August. So about 10 months. And then with our custom built vans, we started renting those out in February and then launched our brand, like our official brand in at the end of May. Okay. So really only about five weeks or six weeks of really kind of like officially operating as Cabana. Right. Right. So what kind of a wrench did COVID throw into your launch plans and how did you navigate through that? What lessons are you learning through all of that? Yeah. So I am like, I'm a cup one quarter full person. Uh, <laughs> so like I will find a silver lining in just about any situation. And uh, so COVID was pretty scary, but it's turned out to be pretty serendipitous as well. So we were originally planning on launching in mid-March, launching our brand in mid-March. And we like, we're going to launch with a different brand. And, you know, we kind of like got to the, the, the really like the, the 11th hour and we did a gut check and we're like, you know what, we really don't like what we've come up with. And so we did a total rebrand. And, but for that, we would have launched our brand right before COVID hit. 
and hit in earnest in mid-March. And uh, instead we held. And so what happened is basically like we had bookings, right? Because we were operating unbranded and every single person canceled. Every single booking that we had pre-COVID wound up canceling. And so we were pretty nervous wow. uh, and you know, uh, it was pretty dark days. And then like mid to late April, you know, people have been in their house for four to six weeks. They're getting stir crazy. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel and they start coming back and booking vans. And so we saw this massive uptake, actually more than we had pre-COVID. And it, you know, it was actually really perfect timing for the brand because you see people. So the other, the other wrinkle was, you know, people generally make their summer vacation travel plans in January and February. And so if we're doing this big brand launch in March, you know, we're really like being opportunistic and looking for those last minute uh, planners and folks that have like kind of put it off. But what COVID did is it, it basically resulted, everybody canceled their summer travel plans. And then we launched right as people are rebooking every, all of their, all of their travel. And they're now thinking about how do I stay out of an airport, airport, an airplane, and how do I stay out of a hotel? And here's this product that like gives you all of the hotel amenities, but does it in a way that allows you to stay completely socially distant. So, I mean, it threw like a massive curveball to us, right? And it's definitely changed kind of like how we were thinking about our initial marketing and who we were initially marketing to but it also kind of created this massive opportunity that wouldn't have existed pre-March. Definitely. Yeah. I think the, the, the industry is definitely going to be seeing, um, you know, the domestic and leisure travel uh, leading the recovery. And it sounds like you guys are, are well prepared and getting prepared for that to happen. What other ways is, is Cabana preparing for kind of that influx that you're, that a lot of people are anticipating? Uh, influx of demand. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, you know, planning an expansion. So we'll be in the next month or so announcing the next market that we're launching into. And then I would anticipate by spring of 2021, uh, ready for, you know, the summer travel season in 2021 will be in another call it six to 10 cities. Awesome. Do you have any hints for us, uh, as far as the next market you're launching into? Uh, yeah, like I would say stay tuned. I mean, one thing that I would say is, is uh, a dis, you know, kind of a driving factor is the desire to open up one-way trips so that mm -hmm. people can, you know, rent a van in Seattle, drive it to City X, drop it off, and then fly home. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that kind of like will help drive decision-making on, yeah. on what markets. But I think, you know, uh, we, we, I like, I grew up in the Midwest. And uh, so, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about is, you know, building a national brand that is, you know, kind of like omnipresent in every city. Because one of the things that, like, again, like silver linings, uh, one of the things that I get excited about when I think about how COVID is changing travel is I think there's a lot of small towns that, you know, 50 to 100 years ago before plane travel was, 
you know, ubiquitous and affordable. You know, there was like tourist towns everywhere, like down where you guys are, Eureka Springs, right? It was an old Victorian tourism yeah. center. And it's like complete, like just absolutely beautiful setting. And does, in a post-COVID world, does that kind of, uh, does that kind of setting come back as a place people decide to go on vacation to? Or, you know, in Chicago, where I live for, a, you know, a good chunk of my early life and then as an adult. You know, there's a bunch of tourist towns along the kind of eastern coast of Lake Michigan, western side of, of the state of Michigan, that are great little vacation destinations that, you know, are going to be a lot more appealing now that a plane trip to the Caribbean is, you know, a potentially life and death situation. Yeah. For sure. So switching gears a little bit into the future, I know that you have, you're looking ahead um, to the autonomous driving vehicles and platooning and things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on how that's going to shape this, uh, this new van life market? Uh, I think it's going to, I mean, I think autonomous and it just depends on kind of like what level of autonomy you want to to focus on so you know the the early autonomy is most likely going to take place in the long-haul trucking uh industry and uh on limited access highways where there's you know no pedestrians and it's a much simpler uh operating environment so you know i could envision it becoming much easier for us to move vehicles between markets uh, to handle seasonality or spikes in demand. So you're going to envision a, you know, you have a South by Southwest in Austin and all of the vans from, you know, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma City, et cetera, kind of platoon into Austin to provide, you know, hotel rooms uh, on a on a spot basis. You got to like a fully autonomous future and a few things happen. One is the form factor one is the form factor of the vehicle changes uh, quite a bit. And then the other is that how you can use it changes. So the example that I like to use is, you know, you're living in Seattle, you have a fully autonomous cabana available to you. Uh, Friday, four o'clock rolls around, you decide you want to go to Yellowstone, which is, you know, a 14 hour drive away. Uh, you hop in your cabana, order your food via Postmates or Yelp or whatever, get in the van, eat, stream a few shows, hop in bed, fall asleep as you're driving, as the van is driving you all the way to Yellowstone. You get there, you wake up at like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. Uh, at a trailhead, go for a nice long hike uh, for a few days, take in the wildlife, whatever it is you want to do. And then Friday, Sunday night, 4 or 5 o'clock, uh, you pile back into your cabana, uh, you've got your work clothes with you, right? And uh, you make a little food, stream your shows, your Sunday night shows, and then wake up the next morning at like the front door of your office. And, you know, you just had this amazing weekend that you wouldn't have been able to have pre-autonomy. That sounds like a dream to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you think about that of like, what that kind of lifestyle could mean. I mean, I like, this is a little bit kind of tongue in cheek, but also I don't think completely that far off. 
I mean, people talk about like a gap year and I think it's like, okay, what does a gap decade look like when, you know, you're 20, 22 and you just graduated from college, you have a job as like a graphic designer where you can work from anywhere and, you know, why not do that? And you basically are completely mobile. Yeah. yeah and then when you're ready to settle down, you know, you just like, you pick the city that you want to live in and you go live in there and raise a family. Yeah, that, that sounds like a pretty exciting future to me. How far off do you think that we are from seeing uh, the beginnings of that? You know, I don't know. I think like, so my transportation background, it's kind of funny. I, I never really paid too much attention to the autonomy space when I was running the city DOT uh, because I figured smarter the people than me are working on it and it's not gonna sneak up on us. So, uh, you know, it's like, what I hear is like five to 10 years. And what I also hear is like, when somebody says five to 10 years, what they really mean is they have no idea. Uh, but I mean, there are already trucks that are being operated autonomously in test mode, kind of traveling the country. Uh, I think that again, uh, if you look at COVID and what it's gonna do, I think it's gonna accelerate trends. And when you think about populations at risk, the trucking population tends to be older, uh, tends to have higher risk factors. And so, you know, you could very easily see kind of like increased push to make autonomous long haul trucking happen faster uh, at the regulatory, you know, from a regulatory standpoint. So that, you know, that's already happening. Uh, I think the full autonomy, you know, where you, you know, the robo taxi vision, that I think is a little farther off. And I think it's really, uh, it's gonna be harder than a lot of people think. And I think folks are starting to figure that out. It's kind of like when you have an Uber, you're sitting in an Uber lift, right? And you're trying to get dropped off and you, you know, the driver asks, oh, where do you want? And you say, oh, uh, over there behind the, the, the red thing, uh, the red car, right? And there's like, how is a AI going to figure that out and like pull you up to, you know, the exact right location and then like take into account, maybe you're in a part of town where the curb height is too high. And so like you, they need to pull over and say, Oh, can you pull up a little bit? Right. What does a little bit mean to a robot? So I think that stage could take a lot longer uh, to get like to that level of precision. Yeah. But I think like you, you saw Amazon just made a bet on, I think they acquired a company called Zooks uh, that's building autonomous robo taxis, which to me says they're going to basically have like prime mobility, right? Where you're like, your prime account also comes with like ubiquitous, you know, ride sharing. So it's going to happen. It's just, you know, we're not going to build the technology, but we'll definitely buy it. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was curious if do you guys plan on doing any sort of lobbying for autonomous driving and being involved at, on that level, or are you just going to kind of ride it and see where it goes? You know, I don't know. I think like I'm a, the type of person where I just think like we need to focus on doing our things really, really well, and then yeah. let other people that are better. It's like a Ricardian kind of economy, like comparison management. Like we're never going to be the most effective lobbyists for autonomous vehicles. It's not, it's an amazing nice staff for our industry, but like we're a 10 van startup. Like we got to focus on like providing amazing guest experiences. And then when other people perfect that technology, then we'll be the first customer. 
Definitely. That's awesome. So you got a fairly new startup. Uh, you got some, some unique plans and, and vision for the future. Do you have anything else that is kind of exciting to you about the future of the industry moving forward? Yeah. I mean, what I love, what I love about it is being able to like come to this like old form factor. Like it's not like RVs are like a great innovation that we've come up with. They've been around for 50, 60, 70 years, but I think coming to it with a, like a totally disruptive mindset of like questioning all orthodoxy, like, I think that we're not too far away from being able to build a vehicle. And like, I think within kind of like the next year, building a vehicle that allows us to go, allows our customers to go completely off grid for two or three weeks. Wow. That would be great. Nice, uh, relaxing getaway for sure for that time period. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And just like, that, I mean, because at the end of the day, like it's got to be simple to use because people don't want to have to like, learn how to like empty a toilet tank right like that's you know we need to do that for them mm -hmm. and so like our goal like everything we do is like how do we make it as simple as possible uh because like i'm an exceptionally lazy i work really hard and i'm a lazy consumer and i want <laughs> everything to be as simple as possible and if it's not incredibly simple i'm too busy to learn how to use it and that's kind of the mindset that we're applying to the design and so that i get really excited about like the product development and how we can innovate on that. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, we've, we've kind of looked at the future of the industry as a whole. I think, I think this mobile transportation aspect of it is going to be huge on a more personal level. Um, Scott, what are you excited about in your future? What are you um, looking to try areas you want to grow? Um, how would you answer that on a personal level? Oh, like personal? I don't know. I have a, a daughter that is just about to turn three, and it's like the most exciting thing uh, <laughs> I've ever gotten to do. It's a fun age. Uh, it's like, no, it's just like I, it's like the most fun thing uh, that I've ever done. And That's I awesome. just love kind of watching her grow and explore the world. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, Scott, we appreciate your time, and uh, it was very interesting to hear kind of the journey and, and your insights there into the future as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for thanks having for me. joining us. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Future Hospitality and on Facebook by searching for Future Hospitality. Thank you.